The word of our Lord from the prophet Jeremiah. Thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord. And I will bring you to the place from which I cause you to be carried away captive. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would bless the reading of your holy word to us this morning as your people. Help us, each of us, to have ears to hear so that we might hear your voice. And Lord, help us to have hearts that are broken and that are ready to follow as you lead. Help us to receive what you have for us this morning. In the name of Jesus, amen. Ever wonder why in the Bible God didn't just simply give us a doctrinal statement? You ever think about that? Just something to believe. Here it is. A simple statement. Perhaps the Apostles' Creed would have been nice. Just something that God wants to lay out for us and say, here's what you are to believe, and that settles it. Sure, there's doctrine in the Bible. In fact, Paul in his epistles talks an awful lot about doctrine. He not only builds doctrine in his letters, typically the first half of his letters is about doctrine. Here is what Christ has done for you. Here is what God in His Son Jesus has done in your behalf to redeem you and rescue you. And then in the later half of His letters, He typically says, okay, how do we now respond? In fact, His pastoral letters to Timothy and Titus, He he uses the word doctrine over and over and over again. So don't tell me doctrine doesn't matter. It does matter. But what God does in the scriptures is not just give us a doctrinal statement. Seriously, think about what God gave us in the scriptures. He told us stories. Specifically, he told us stories of relationships. Some of those relationships were healthy and some of those relationships were toxic and broken. Having to help set up this morning, I got to peek in on the children's Sunday school class and got to drop some eaves, Bill, and heard y'all talking about Jacob and Esau and the, the toxic relationships of that family. How broken some of those relationships were in the Scriptures. 
But God tells us stories primarily in the scriptures. Yeah, there are songs and prayers and other things. But through these stories that God shares with us about relationships, he invites us into a relationship with him ourselves. Giving us pictures and images of what life might be like, of what life could be like, of what life is like if we don't live it as he intends. On top of the stories, God gave us poetry, prayers, and prophecy. Not just prose, platitudes, and propositions. Some of us, when we read poetry, tend to get frustrated. Why can't Shakespeare just say what he's intending to say? Why do I have to wrestle with this? Why do I have to think about it? It doesn't even rhyme sometimes. In the poetry of of the scriptures, specifically in the Older Testament, although there's some poetry in the New Testament, none of it ever rhymes. Poetry can be frustrating. But part of that wrestling and thinking and engaging and envisioning, it, that a lot of why poetry is what it is and why it is so captivating is because it demands that of us. It demands thought. It demands work. It demands labor. It demands an imagination. Creativity. You see, God seems to be all about imagination that shouldn't surprise us he is the creator of all there is this week in school during morning basket I saw that and heard that Lindsay was teaching the kids and showing them images of uh, the hourglass nebula If you don't know what that is, Google it later. That's what it's called, right? Yes. Okay, the Hourglass Nebula. Look that up at some point. Why in the world would God put that in outer space where we can't see it for thousands upon thousands of years, you know, hundreds of years after the scientific revolution where we can finally get a telescope powerful enough to see it? God seems to have quite the imagination. He seems to be very interested in us as his people, in in how we think, in what we imagine. In fact, he invites us to create, to dream, to think, to wonder. For Israel, all hope was lost, simply lost in Jeremiah's day. Jeremiah the prophet tells him, you might as well just pack your bags. The Babylonians are at the gates. It's over. It's done. You're done. You are through. It is on to Babylon. And there's no way around it. It was a time of despair. It was a time of mourning. It was a time of of death and destruction and doom and gloom. It was a time of great despair. It's because of this that Jeremiah is often referred to by scholars as the depressed 
prophet. He is filled with melancholy. He is filled with with hopelessness. Because he's in the midst of a hopeless people and a hopeless situation because the people have burned their hope. They have failed to care enough. It's Jeremiah who gives us the lamentations. I mean, if that doesn't sound despondent, lamentations? There's a book in the Bible called that? Read it. It's in the very center of lamentations, which, which is Jeremiah's cry out and prayer before God as he's sitting in the midst of Jerusalem, which has been besieged and destroyed Thousands upon thousands killed and then thousands upon thousands taken to a foreign land. The prophet sits in the middle of the broken rock and rubble and he sits with dust and dirt as his bed. And he cries out to God and in the midst of it, in the very center of Lamentations, the very center, the middle chapter, he gives us the words to great is thy faithfulness. Oh, God, my Father, there's no shadow of turning with Thee. Thou changest not Thy compassions, they fail not. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. That's where we get that hymn. In the middle of hopelessness. Jeremiah is not only just a depressed prophet, but he's certainly a reluctant prophet. No doubt about that. He's the one who said, I didn't want to be a prophet. I didn't want to do this. I didn't sign up for this job. I wasn't geared for it. I wasn't wired for it. I didn't seek it out. He specifically says, I didn't want to preach. I didn't want to tell anybody about what was coming. I didn't want to tell anybody about how to turn back to Yahweh. But his word became like a fire in my bones. I couldn't contain it. I couldn't hold it in. And so for Israel, yes, all hope was lost. And yet, it's according to Jeremiah who gives no hope that we then find hope. Because for Jeremiah, while, while hope, all hope is lost, he leaves the caveat that, but perhaps, not, perhaps it's not all lost. It's Jeremiah the prophet who says, pack your bags, you're going to Babylon. But while you're packing, if you'll just repent, if you'll just turn back to Yahweh, there's always mercy. There's always salvation. There's always redemption. God is the one who hung the moon. He is the one who can, can, can steal us out of, out of captivity. He is the one who can steal us back from our hopelessness. You see, in the Hebrew mind, there's a difference between knowing something and knowing something. You know what I'm talking about. You're picking up what I'm laying down, right? There's a difference between knowing something and really knowing something. It's one thing to know something to be true based on evidence, based upon what your eyes see and your ears hear, what your nose can smell. There's that kind of knowledge. That's objective and typically impersonal. 
But it's something far different to know something through personal experience, through real encounter. It's in that context that we read Abraham knew his wife Eve and she beget a child. Abraham knew something of the mercy of God. He knew that though all hope was lost with God, there's always hope. There's always the possibility of hope. When everything around us says, this is the end, it's over. Hang it up. God says, but wait. Just turn back. Along with Jeremiah, part of the problem is that we need to relearn how to dream. We've lost sight of those things that are higher than what we see around us. We're so often caught up with the immediate. We're so often caught up with what we see before us. And we've forgotten how to dream. We have forgotten how to use our spiritual imaginations. The problem is that we've lost the ability to see. Not just because we've gotten older and now need glasses to help us read, but we've simply lost the ability to see beyond what can be seen. We no longer see possibility. We only see inevitability. Some of you are Falcons fans, and that's where you're living this morning. You've got to watch the Saints play later this afternoon because they are on television in our area. And you've got to watch them win and think what's going to happen with our season, right? <laughs> I'll get to the repentance in a bit. We no longer see potential. We only see problems. I know for some of you I'm meddling right now, but that's fine. We no longer dream about what could be. We only look at what lies before us. We're like dogs. You know, a dog will never look at what you're pointing at. The only thing he'll do, you can point at anything. You can point at the food and he'll smell your finger. Like, well, what's that thing waving around? What do you... they, they can't see beyond what's there. They can't even see what's there. When you're, I've given you a bowl of food. Come on, come get it. They're concerned with what you're doing with your hands. With what's right there in front of them. came across a quote this week. Low expectations protect us from disappointment. And because of our inability to dream, because of our unwillingness to dream, because we have, we have short-circuited our spiritual imagination, so many of us are living with low expectations for ourselves, for our lives, for our hurt relationships, for our work opportunities, for our church, for our communities, for our neighborhood, our relationship with the neighbors across the street. We're living in the, in the, in the toxicity of low expectations because if we don't expect much, we can't be brokenhearted. We'll just learn how to, to, to eke through 
I remember from Dumb and Dumber, Bill, the line, I'm tired of eking my way through life. Our pets' heads are falling off. While Jeremiah was in prison, in prison, because he said the wrong things to the wrong people about the wrong stuff. He's in prison. The Lord challenged him. Almost dared him. Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. I will blow your mind, Yahweh said, if you will just call out to me. You see, that verse, and then the verse we read at the beginning, Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. We often rip those right out of their context, say, hey, that means life's going to work out well. Everything's going to be good for me because God thinks good things about me. And we forget the fact that David is, or that Jeremiah is living in the midst of a hopeless situation. The verse just prior, Yahweh said, yeah, you're going to Babylon. Pack your bags. You're going into captivity. But my, my, my goal for you is not suffering as an end. My goal for you is that through suffering, through this hopeless situation, that you will learn what it is to hope only in me. That you'll learn to dream again. That you'll learn to imagine what could be again. That, that my image in you, that creative spark, that it will be reignited in you. And so call out to me. I've got things to show you. Things you cannot imagine. How do we learn to dream dreams again? How do we learn to think God's thoughts again? Well, Paul the Apostle gave us a little bit of a tip toward the end of his letter to the Philippians. We read this a couple of times just, I believe, last month. He said, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, Whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. To dream dreams, you've got to fill your mind with dreamable things. With things that are worth dreaming. I wake up every morning and wonder, why in the world have I not had a dream? I'm telling you, I probably haven't had a dream in months. And that's actually pretty good for me because there are times in life where I, I will go to sleep and wake up as though nothing happened for years. I mean, I don't dream dreams. Lindsay dreams in color. Color and sound. She can describe everything to you. She has a dream, it seems, every single night. We need that kind of people. We need to relearn how to dream. To relearn how to imagine. We do that by seeking Him. As the prophet told us. By seeking Him. By calling out to Him. Which means that in reality, we need to relearn how to pray. 
We need to learn how to pray imaginatively. You see, we've lost the art of praying earnestly and of praying imaginatively. We've forgotten how to dream because we've forgotten how to pray. We need to relearn again that art of imagining what God wants to do with your life. When's the last time you thought about that? That's not, that's not a question that's settled when you're, when you're 17 or 18 and trying to figure out college. When's the last time you asked God, Lord, what do you want to do with my life? What are you wanting me to be? What are you wanting me to do? We need to imagine what God wants to do with our lives and we need to pray about it. But that's not where the dreaming and the praying stops. We need to also re- we need to imagine who God wants to reach through our lives. See, most Christians don't live there. Most Christians, most of us, are probably just trying to remain faithful another day. Just trying to get into a better habit of reading our Bibles and praying a little bit. We're still trying to get a little bit of roots down. We're not thinking about the harvest that's around us. We're not thinking about those that are hurting around us. We see them again as problems. Not as possibilities, but as inevitabilities. Oh, I've got to deal with that guy again. He doesn't stop talking about his marriage. It's driving me crazy. I can't fix that. Well, maybe God's put you in that guy's life. Not to fix it, but to be the prophet who is sitting in the midst of hopelessness saying there's always hope. There's always possibility. There's always opportunity. But most of us, like I said, we don't live there. We're too busy. We're too busy doing not not just our Christian stuff, but we're too busy doing our just being alive stuff. Too busy playing and having fun and doing stuff to think about the people in our lives who need Jesus. Not just lost people who don't know Him, that also. But also people who feel as though there is no hope. Who are dealing with the immediacy of their impossible and hopeless situations. And as we rediscover and relearn how to pray... As we seek to pray more earnestly and to pray more imaginatively. We also need to imagine what God wants to do with us. Through us as his people. And we need to seek him and cry out to him. We might very well have our minds blown by what God wants to do. After all, there must be more, right? Surely God wants to do more with you. Surely God wants to do more with me. Surely God wants to do more with us. 
If we are to be wholly His, holy is in belonging to Him, but also holy is in completely His. If we are to be wholly His, we need to develop a holy dissatisfaction, a holy discomfort with mediocrity. A holy frustration. We need a new sense of spiritual imagination. But how do we reignite that imagination? How do we begin to see vividly? How do we begin to see colorfully? Like the prophets did. Like the psalmists did. Like the apostles did. The possibilities of what God can do with His people. Even in the midst of hopelessness. Even in the midst of difficulty. How do we reignite that imagination? We reignite it by feeding our souls a steady, steady diet of spiritual nourishment. After all, what makes you hungrier than stepping into the kitchen and smelling the food, right? I don't know about you, but I smell coffee. I start wanting coffee. I'm like that with most anything. Well, most anything that I would eat or drink. If I smell cut grass, I don't necessarily want to get out and mow the lawn. <laughs> right? <laughs> I smell coffee. I want coffee. I smell nachos. Whoa. Smell a burger. And there are, there are things that feed into that spiritual nourishment in our lives that, that we really have control over. You know, it's, I mentioned this last week that uh, Blaze, and you've heard me mention it a thousand times, but Blaze Pascal, I like the guy, said God has given us the dignity of causality. We can do things. You can mow the, mow the yard and it's mowed. You can rip up the grass and it's gone. You can patch a hole with more grass and it's been patched. Plant some tomato bushes and hey, you'll have tomato bushes. They may not produce tomatoes like you hoped and you might get frustrated with that. But you can do things. You can cause things. You can make things happen. But, and, and I say that as a reminder that God has given us a lot of things that we really do have control over in our lives. We really can feed our souls with the things that He's offered to us. And so I want to real quickly just run through a few things that maybe you are doing a little bit, but maybe not doing well. Maybe things you haven't even thought of. Reignite your spiritual imagination by wallowing in the Scriptures. We don't often talk like that. We talk dignified. Read and study the Bible. But wallow in the Scriptures. Do more than study it. Read it. Now often I say that the other way. Do more than read it. Study it. Get into it. But seriously, we've got to be people of the Word. We've got to be people who get into it. I remember in college having a professor who said, I'm far more concerned with how much the Scriptures get into you than how much you get into the Scriptures. Not to say that we don't spend time with it. Not to say that we don't study it. Not to say that we don't pick it apart and parse it and figure out how to apply it to our lives, but sometimes we just need to get into it. 
seriously. Actually read it. C.S. Lewis noted that there's a, a difference between looking at something and looking along it. I'm here to tell you there's a whole world of difference between looking at something and looking through it. Read the Scriptures so much that you no longer are just looking at them, but are instead looking through them. Looking through them at God, their author. Looking through them at others around you, the people He's placed in your life. Looking through them at your own life and your own relationships. Wallow in the Scriptures. Reignite your spiritual imagination by praying with reckless abandon and yet also praying with help. In my notes here, I've got the words training wheels. Sometimes we need to pray with training wheels. And there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, there's something that can be really good with that. Get a prayer book if needed. Several are available online. You might not like the book of common prayer. You might think it's weird praying scripted prayers. But sometimes we need that. Sometimes we need some structure. We need some order. We need something to to direct our eyes beyond the, Lord, I need you to be with me for this appointment that's coming up. And you know the bills are due. I got to get those paid. And oh yes, Sister Hazel. She's got this problem. She's not writing music anymore. Help her. I I got this other thing that I need you to do. Somebody laughed. I got this other thing here. Sometimes we need the prayers of someone else to captivate us, to draw us out of our hopelessness, to draw us out of our immediate needs, to draw us out. And so pray with reckless abandon. Pour out your heart to God. Lord, I need you. I can't live this alone. I can't do this. I need your help here. I'm worried for this person. I'm hurting for this family. But then also there are times where we do need the training wheels, where we need the help. Remember the disciples went to Jesus. We read the passage just earlier. Lord, teach us to pray. John taught his disciples how to pray. And we want to, we want to know from the Master, how do we pray? And what he told them, I'd never noticed this before until Dietrich Bonhoeffer pointed it out. He tells them not, well, here's kind of a model of how you ought to pray. Here's a structure that could guide your prayers. He doesn't tell them that. He doesn't give them a formula. He tells them words to say. When you pray, say this. He actually gives us a prayer. The Psalms give us prayers. It's the the hymnal of the Old Testament, but it's a prayer book. You can find in the Psalms something to meet every need you have. Every situation you're in, you'll find a Psalm that will speak into it. You'll find Psalms that are angry. Strike them down, Lord. I'm tired of fighting my enemies. Get rid of them. You'll find psalm, the, 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 the psalmist is sometimes frustrated and discouraged. Sometimes he's on the mountaintop and he's excited. God has given us helps to prayer. In grammar school, we emphasize over and over again repetition. It's all about memorization. You just write what I'm writing on the board. 
Some of you are really good at that. I throw this up here and you're immediately writing it down. Sometimes we're, we're, we're at points in life where that's what we need. We just need the repetition. Just show me what to do and how to do it. We learn to color within the lines. Sometimes even by number. Every, every block that's got a one in it, use orange. Every block that's got a two in it, use green. We need things to shape us, to help us, to form us. And I don't think any of us is so grown in our relationship with God that we don't need help. If we think that we're so grown, God help us. You say, well, I don't mean it when I read it. Well, mean it when you read it. I want to encourage you to reignite your spiritual imagination. Also by doing something out of character privately. Maybe you don't fast. Maybe you used to. Maybe you haven't. Maybe you've thought about it before. If you're not the fasting type, I'm not your medical doctor. I don't know what medical stuff you've got going on. But if you can fast, fast. Read a book. Maybe you think, oh, I'm not the reading type. I don't like doing that. I got, I'm, I'm a doer. I got stuff to do. Well, maybe sometimes you've got to put aside the stuff and sit down and be fed a little bit. Read a book. Take a walk. Some of us haven't spent time outside in ages. I don't know. Use your imagination, but do something that's somewhat out of character for you. Not some crazy out of character. Don't go run up dead on a new Corvette or anything you know, weird like that. <laughs> But something that's not typical of you that can awaken your imagination. That can get your brain thinking. And sometimes just a walk in the woods is enough to do that. Just seeing the beauty. Seeing all the intricacies. Seeing all the the differences. Do something out of character privately. And do something outlandish for someone else. Outlandish? Not really. You don't have to buy them a Corvette. But something outlandish. Serve somebody. Go, Go beyond yourself and do something. Get beyond yourself intentionally and on a regular basis. Not just every few months doing a good deed that goes unnoticed. Or, but do something for someone else. Regularly. Not just every once in a while. One of the ways that helps us is it gets us out of our own lives. It gets us out of our own heads and out of our own immediacies. And out of our own troubles and Hopelessness. And now I am starting to meddle. You want to awaken your spiritual imagination? Reignite it by being here next Sunday. You see, we don't come to church with the expectation of peering into heaven, do we? We don't come with expectation. We don't even know if we're going to come. We may or may not. 
But we ought to come with this sort of expectation that something that's happening in heaven can be participated in by us here on earth. That's what's going on in Revelation 4 and 5. If you, if you read them, you, you read that John is caught up in heaven. He sees all the worship that's going on there. And he sees the elders and the beasts and all the crying out. And all the holy, holy, holies. And it, there in the midst of it, you've also got the prayers of the saints being lifted up. That's, that's us. That's here on earth. The prayers of the saints being lifted up as a bowl of incense in the throne room. Be here and come with a sense of expectation. God, what do you have for me? I want to hear from you. I want to worship you. Came across another quote this week I want to share with you that might speak into, into our lives and challenge us. George Hunter said, People who are not following Jesus Christ and are not working out, and here's the kicker for you, are not working out their salvation within the body of Christ are lost. There's no other way to put it. They are lost and they cannot find the way to abundant life by themselves. It's not in us. Bill, I told you I was getting there. Before you do anything, confess and repent. Confess. Confess the cancer of your apathy and your disinterest. The deadly sin sloth, or I think it's sloth in Latin. It's not just about laziness. It's about not caring. It's about being uninterested. Unengaged. For it to reignite our spiritual imaginations, then we must confess and repent for being far too easily satisfied. What's the first step? The first step to recovery is admitting you have a problem. Maybe all this sounds a bit crazy to you. <clears throat> But how about with me? How about we ask the Lord to give us such a hunger for the creative magic of a reignited imagination. An imagination that is wholly His. You know, the gospel of Jesus is filled with realities that bend our imaginations and blow our minds. God incarnate The word through whom the worlds were made, nursing at Mary. Blind eyes being opened with a single word. And all around us, broken and bitter hearts being strangely warmed. And becoming somehow welcoming to the presence of Jesus. The gospel is about the impossible. 
It's about what can't happen, what is hopeless, what is beyond despair being transformed and turned on its head, being redeemed. I'm convinced that God wants to do so much more than we're willing to give Him credit for desiring to do. We think that God just wants us to eke along. And that's not just as a church. That's me as a person and you as a person. As disciples of Jesus, we become far too satisfied with just getting along and making it another day. And we think sometimes that our situations aren't hopeless. That, you know, we can manage, we'll be fine. It's not as bad as it could be. Which I think underscores the hopelessness of it. Is we've become far too easily satisfied with ourselves. We've become far too easily satisfied with what God's done for us in our lives. And forget about everyone else. And in your mind and in my mind, we might think, no, that's not me. I really do care about my neighbor. And I think God might very well call our bluff and say, prove it. Show me how your neighbor knows you love Jesus. Show me how your neighbor knows that you even know your neighbor's name. There is an increasing population all around us in our neighborhoods that literally do not know the first name of their next door neighbor. Folks, we've got to relearn how to dream. We've got to relearn how to pray. And none of that will happen just by willing it, wishing for it. It'll only happen as we confess, as we repent, and as we begin to feed our imaginations with what God can do and and allow that to work itself out into how we actually live our lives together as a people and in the midst of a world that is truly, truly hopeless without Jesus. You think your life is bad? Imagine it without Jesus. And that's where most people are living. I don't care what they share on Facebook. I don't care what they say about being a Christian. And because they, you know, one time were baptized years ago. Most people live in complete hopelessness without Jesus. And the prophet says, my plans for you are something bright and beautiful and big and bolder than you can imagine. Call unto me.
Father, we pray. <clears throat> we pray that you would break us